There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Your weekend home for all things sport. This is The Grill on Dubai Eye 103.8. Live from Barasti. Here's Tom Urquhart. Well, let's just get around the grounds if we can and tell you what's been going on in the world of sport. Let's start with the football because we've got live football for you in the European Championship qualifiers. Uh, we've just seen Ireland beat Samoa in the Rugby World Cup. The Republic of Ireland now in action over in Georgia. Three minutes in. Any goals as yet? Uh, still 0-0 zero, zero in, in that match, uh, Tom. And Ireland have started with a 4-2-3-1 formation. And a lot of Premier League players in there uh, featuring for Ireland tonight. And uh, a big game for them because if they win, it, it, uh, they hold a good chance of qualifying next summer against Georgia. Going to keep an eye on that one for you. Republic of Ireland taking on Georgia. A win would leave Republic of Ireland needing two points to qualify. Georgia a fourth in Group D at the moment. James Collins making full full debut in attack uh, for the men in green. Uh, four minutes on the clock. No goals in that. What happened in the rugby? Quick reminder, Mark Archer. Yeah, the one match that was played today, of course, two matches cancelled in the Rugby World Cup. England and France, New Zealand, were both uh, cancelled due to Hurricane Hagibus. I can tell you that the match that was played it meant that Ireland, who had to win the match with a bonus point against Samoa, have completed that task. They've won comfortably 47 points to five. They will go on to the quarterfinals next weekend. Two tries to Johnny Sexton, who also kicked four conversions. Uh, best Furlong, Lamar, uh, Stander and Conway also with tries. Convincing performance by Ireland. The big talking point was, though, a red card to Bundy Aki for a dangerous challenge after 29 minutes. But... Uh, Ireland will basically shove the ball up their jumper, played very tight rugby for the remaining part of the match and won comfortably in the end, 47 points to five. They will proceed, Tom, to the Rugby World Cup quarterfinals and they are likely to play, I think, probably next Saturday, maybe against the All Blacks. Indeed they will. What's been happening in the world of cricket today? India against South Africa has closed and that man's been breaking more records, Bons? Um Yes, Tom. Uh, Virat Kohli is 254. Uh, apparently, he, he's, he's broken so many records yesterday. He's, he's joined an elite list of, of players who are now on seven double hundreds. And he's five away from Sir Donald Bradman's record of 12. So Sangakara holds uh, 11 double hundreds. What can we say about this man? Uh, I mean, he's, he's the Cristiano Ronaldo of cricket, uh, a run machine, a well-oiled machine. He takes care of his fitness. And whenever he goes out there, he goes out with an intention of scoring runs. It was his 50th. It, this is his 50th test match as, as captain and uh, I could just see that you know in, in, in the nets when I saw Virat Kohli batting he, he wanted to prove uh, another point and, and he did it with a, with a brilliant 254 not out. Indeed he did. Uh, talking of cricket, uh, cricket comes home to roost here in the UAE in the coming weeks. The build up to the Abu Dhabi T10 has powered ahead. Tickets for the event officially going on sale. Uh, we saw the initial draw last week, Mark Archer, with the first of the names going into the hats for the different group stages and a little a hint at some of the big names we can expect to see in the nation's capital in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, uh, uh, the weather is cooling down here in the UAE and the cricket season is really hotting up, though, Tom. Uh, we're glad to be joined on the phone by a good friend of the show, the CEO of Abu Dhabi Cricket, Matthew Boucher, to tell us about all things good and great happening in the capital and cricket. Good afternoon, Matthew. Good afternoon, guys. A big hello from Abu Dhabi. <laughs> and Matthew, busy time. You've, you, the season hasn't just started. It's under a, a whirlwind of, uh, of activity down there in Abu Dhabi in the capital. Just talk us through. Let's just start with the Abu Dhabi T10. Uh, lots of news during the week. You've got uh, a, a, one team to be announced. But just give us an update on that event. And tickets have now, of course, on sale for, for an amazing weekend of T10 cricket. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
So uh, we're up and running now, changing gears pretty well, which is good. So we've announced some players. Uh, going back about six weeks ago, we announced some players that will be participating in the draft, which is all uh, positive news. And 10, 10, 10, we, uh, 10 a.m. on the 10th month, the 10th of October, we announced our tickets launching on sale. So that's Thursday. The, all matches are on sale uh, as of now. And uh, looking forward to the next steps. The next big moment is we've got some announcements Sunday, Monday, and then we're straight into the players' draft on Wednesday, 6 p.m. in Abu Dhabi, where all eight teams will confirm retained players from the previous years and select category A, B, C, and icon players for 2019. So... We're in overdrive. It's exciting times. We're very, very pleased to be hosting the event. We've got some brilliant government partners here, and uh, onwards and upwards. And Matthew, just tell us which big-name players have already been confirmed or selected by the teams, and tell us which players are in the draw. Who are you really looking forward to seeing in action in this uh, this wonderful, innovative form of T10 cricket? Yeah, absolutely, Mark. Well, we've got a, a, a lot. There's over 550 players in the draft. Some of those I can tell you. Some of those I can't. So. Uh, we, what we are not in charge of here as Abu Dhabi Sports Council and Abu Dhabi Cricket is the player selection. So we, we are not, uh, each of the eight teams select their players, they select the composition of their teams, the power of their teams. But uh, if, if selected, uh, we hope obviously the uh, best West Indians when they finish with their series will be here on the 18th, 19th. Uh, we're hoping for some big name Indians who are outside of the BCCI contract to be selected as icons. Uh, we've got the likes of uh, Malinga's already being confirmed, Russell's already being confirmed. We did some press work with Ian Morgan in uh, Mumbai, the ICC Cricket World Cup winning captain for England. He's confirmed. Zahir Khan will hopefully be playing. So there's, uh, there's a big selection. I can tell you uh, we can go on and on about who's in the draft, but until Wednesday I won't know who's selected by the teams and who will then be playing. But we're, we're expecting the world's best cricketers to be here in Abu Dhabi on the uh, starting 15th of November. Folks, really appreciate your time this afternoon. I know it's a busy time for you at the moment. Great to catch up with you as well. And this is not a flash in the pan. This is not just a, a, a one-trick pony. This is a five-year deal that you've done with the T10. So it's going to be here for a long year, for a long time to come. Yeah, definitely, Tom. Thanks for having us on. So we, uh, we obviously had the pleasure of hosting you for the Abu Dhabi T20 last year. And uh, we, we learned a lot there, um, whether it's player welfare, hotel welfare, how to conduct international sports events, how to conduct cricket, really for the first time at Abu Dhabi Sports Council and with the Department of Tourism and Culture's help. So that sort of morphed into our relationship now with T10 Sports Management. Uh, we, uh, we onboarded, uh, again, those two government bodies, which just as a footnote, first time ever that three government entities in Abu Dhabi have supported cricket for the top table. So that's a great achievement for the sport here in the UAE and a great nod to the ECB. They're doing a great job. And we're here to stay. So I think, you know, you look at the Sports Council portfolio, you look at the destination portfolio, first year events are hard. We've seen that going all the way back to 2006 Abu Dhabi Golf Championships. But first, first Formula One was a hard year. And then you've seen all these events grow. So we believe in a longer term contract and uh, we're the home of T10 Cricket in the UAE until 2023. Matt, just want to switch gears, move from T10 to T20 Cricket. ICC uh, World T20 qualifiers, lots of action coming up shortly. The likes of Scotland, Ireland, of course, the UAE, Kenya, Netherlands all taking part. Just give us a bit of an update on that event. I know it all gets underway in about a week's time. Yeah, absolutely. That's well, we uh, players arrived yesterday pretty much. We had a reception with His Excellency Sheikh Nahan down at the Majlis and moved our way to the mosque. All 14 captains for a photo shoot at Zayed Grand Mosque. And then training started today. So we had Ireland at the stadium today, Hong Kong, uh, Canada, uh, Nigeria were there. And uh, 
this is an important event, a very, very important Associate Nation tournament where six teams go forward to the T20 World Cup in Australia next year for another little pre-qualification event just before that World Cup, and then uh, the teams will qualify. So a huge opportunity for the UAE. I know Dougie Brown's a good friend of the show too, and uh, if he, if he can, uh, we're, we're hoping for a, for a very, very good performance for the UAE and then uh, a very hopeful participation in the T20 World Cup next year in Australia. But great to have them. Thank you so much to the ICC for supporting the ECB and trusting both Dubai and Abu for hosting the event. Hi, Boucher. Monty, uh, good evening. Uh, just a quick and question. I heard, heard, heard a host of players uh, that you just told would be participating. And uh, just curious to know, has Yuvarat Singh confirmed his participation? Because he's a, he's, he's a massive name, uh, you know, wherever he goes. Uh, we saw him playing in Canada as well. And uh, not sure if he's coming here. Any, any news on that? Well, the chairman of the league, uh, rolling back six, seven weeks to the announcement that we had in Abu Dhabi, uh, was very confident that he would be picked uh, and he would be selected. Uh, Monty, I might have to tell you, but uh, obviously that's a commercial discussion. And uh, you have a big name in the world of cricket. So we are hoping he will be part of Wednesday's team selection. Thank you. And Matt, so that's the T20 World Cup qualifiers. You've got the T10 event. Just want to talk about an event that you hosted recently. I'm not sure whether it's been concluded or not, but the uh, the wonderful initi initiative by the Ministry of Tolerance regarding the Tolerance Cup. It's a, it's an event that's taken place. Uh, started last year. You, you, you were running the, uh, the the event at Abu Dhabi Cricket Club this year. Can you give us a bit of an update on how that event's gone and has it concluded? And uh, just on that wonderful initiative by the Ministry of Tolerance. Yeah, absolutely. We're into just, just completed week six now yesterday, so we've got uh, 20 workforce village teams. We're playing uh, over 45 matches over a period of nine weeks. We're ending on the day of International Day of Tolerance, which is 15th of November uh, for uh, the grand final of that. But I think, you know, it's just an important note that while we're all hosting these international events, which is great, fantastic for destination tourism and, and real tangible impact, uh, there's a lot going on behind the scenes and you know big big pat on the back to the ministry of tolerance there for a great concept and then again there's actually some shaking around for, for looking after the people that are really powering this country so back to the abu dhabi t10 we know the dates have been confirmed 15th to the 24th of november we know the venue zaya cricket stadium uh, and news through in the last 24 hours that tickets are now on sale what's your advice to cricket fans out there in terms of getting their hands on tickets how do they do that well, I think, Tom, rolling back a little bit, one of the reasons why we, why we really like this format is basically if you buy a ticket to any night, you're going to have 66 players on show. So it's triple headers. It's nine nights of triple headers until we get through to the eliminator game. And, uh, you know, you, you, can, you can pick any night that suits you. Uh, tickets start at 10 dirhams in celebration of the format. And, uh, you know, 66 world-class players every night. There's some cultural performances embedded between the matches. So over a period of five hours under the lights, uh, any ticket purchaser is going to experience an absolute extravaganza. I think we throw that word around a little bit too much, but uh, it really is going to be a good show, and that's one of the reasons why we partnered up with uh, with our government partners and with T10. So uh, I think it's going to be a fantastic event. Get your tickets now, all available online. 
Uh, it is one to look forward to. It's in, it is one in the diary already. Last question from me, Batch, has to be uh, to you. I mean, I've been uh, keeping a t tabs of all the press conferences, all the launches, uh, all the media coming out of the Abu Dhabi T10 in recent times. Uh, Mr. Shahid Afridi has very much been to the fore. He's thrown his weight behind this particular format, this particular tournament. He'll make his return to T10 for the newly joined calendars in their quest for glory uh, this year. Has he still got the boom boom? Yeah, has he still got the boom boom? I think he has. Yeah, he was great when he was here in Abu Dhabi a couple of weeks back. Uh, brilliant for the league to have uh, Pakistan Super League franchise joining them uh, in addition to a Bangladesh-based franchise. So again, when we look at our sort of South Asian networks and the the markets that we're promoting ourselves into, that's uh, it's really good to have those two teams on board. And Afridi is the icon for the Kalandas. Doesn't get much better for making noise in Pakistan. And I think they'll be very, very competitive. Uh, and looking forward to hosting Afridi, right? the, the proper legend of Pakistan sport. Any just, just as sport in general. Matthew Boucher, really appreciate your team. Uh, thank you so much indeed for uh, taking time to speak to us this afternoon, to you and all your team at Thanks Abu Dhabi you. Cricket. Thank you, Matt, and we'll catch up very soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks for the support. Thanks a lot, guys. Huge thanks to Matthew Boucher, CEO of Abu Dhabi Cricket, for what promises to be a great tournament. Looking forward to it, because obviously we've, we've had it here in the region over the last couple of years. Proved a little bit difficult to get for a lot of people to get to and certainly get their hands on tickets. But I, I, I like the setup for this one. Yeah, the first couple of years of the T10 event, a new initiative was held down in Sharjah, which uh, can prove difficult at times to get in and out of that, at that venue. But uh, no excuse this time around. It's, uh, it's going to be a festival of cricket down in Abu Dhabi at Sheikh Zayed Cricket uh, Stadium. And uh, really looking forward to it. They've uh, invested, the, the Tourism Authority, the, the Abu Dhabi Sports Council, the Cricket Club have all invested heavily in, into, into promoting the event and making it uh, a much bigger, better festival of cricket. So really looking forward to that. And of course, let's not forget the ICC T20. World Cup qualifiers. Many of the uh, the the, the best associate nations trying to qualify. I think the next T20 World Cup's down in, under in Australia in, in a year or so's time. So plenty to play for, and uh, the cricket season is up and running. Tommy, look out. Monty, got your tickets yet? Um, no, but I will definitely buy my ticket after hearing Andre Russell is going to participate. You should have told Matt it was your birthday. You know, you might have got one. Uh, maybe I'll leave it to you after the show. <laughs> back at you. Uh, let's take a short break. When we come back, we continue our conversation. All things golf. This is The Grill, live from Barasti, where the game is always on. What can we tell you? We can tell you there's no pole qualifying down in Japan because of the typhoon. Uh, we can tell you that Ireland beat Samoa in the only game at the Rugby World Cup today. And we can tell you, well, let's tell you what's going on between Georgia and Ireland in the football. Euro qualifiers. Um, 11 minutes gone, Tom, and it's still nil-nil between Georgia and Ireland. And uh, I think, I mean, Ireland require a win here to, to keep themselves comfortable for next, year, next summer at the Euro 2020. And I think they would go on to beat Georgia in this game. Keep an eye on that one uh, for you throughout proceedings. We're talking golf. I've uh, got a couple of uh, leading lights uh, from the MENA Tour in our presence. Ross Chris to reintroduce. Yeah, that's exactly right. We're joined here by Cameron Phillips and Elliot Bradley. They're part of the MENA Tour here. You can follow Cam here on his active Instagram at Cam Phillips Golf. You can follow Elliot, Elliot at uh, Elliot Bradley Golf for those of you trying to get a little bit of insight on in what it's like at the very beginning stages of becoming a professional because too often we just see the end result. We see the Phil Mickelson's, we see Henrik Stenson's, we see Tiger Woods, but we forget, you know, there's a, there's a feeder system to get up to that. And these gentlemen have done a great job letting us know 
a little bit about their life on the MENA tour and their humble beginnings. You just told me off air, you're sharing an apartment in town. You're sleeping on the sides of the road in Jordan. I just saw a picture of your hotel in Jordan and it looked like something out of a war movie. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see next weekend, you're heading to the guard, you're heading to Alain, aren't Alain, you? Yeah, yeah, what, what excites you about this upcoming weekend? You're gonna be at the Alain Shooting Club? Shooting Club, Shooting Club yeah. And, and how, how's the competition faring? How do you fancy your chances? Oh, it'd be interesting. I haven't seen the golf course. I mean, it's one of the ones that they've not been to for a fair few years. So it'd be, you know, until you get there and see what's in front of you, it's hard to really make a, a judgment call on what's coming up. But um, mainly, I'm just excited that I think the weather last week, we actually got caught in like a sandstorm and stuff. And this week, it's not doing any of that. So. Speaking of storms, we, all, we also spoke, uh, growing up, you wanted to be a professional rugby player. Then yeah. you switched over to the golf course. You've been keeping an eye on this Rugby World Cup fiasco. We, we had a bit of a debate at the beginning of the show. Are you for them canceling all these games because of the storm? Or do you think it's a b bad play by the organizers? I mean, I understand why they've done it. Like, I don't feel like they had any other option with their contingency plan of moving. I think they're planning on moving 14 miles, which is not really going to make any difference with a massive storm coming through. But I do feel like, you know, someone years ago should have said, well, this is typhoon season. Maybe we should come up with a better contingency plan than just move it 10 miles on the road. But enjoying Engl England's chances in it? Yeah, it's yeah. been good to watch. Like, um, quite a mixed performance, I would say, but there's been a lot of positives. It's hard to tell. We haven't had any really testing games yet. This would have been quite a good one with France that obviously got cancelled. So until we get to the quarters, we won't know. All right, let's head back to the golf course real quick. Who are some golfers that you looked at growing up and you said, you know what, this is this is one of the reasons I want to play on the course. Who is your favorite players? Uh, well, for me, because I was actually a member of the same golf course as Justin Rose, uh, which was in Fleet, Hampshire, so at North Ants. Uh, I was there for a few years. Uh, I met him a few times, nice guy, um, just very chilled out, and uh, just came down for his birthday. I think he was like, I think he was eight under par or something for 18 holes and he was drinking on the way around with his mates. So uh, yeah, he's pretty tidy, uh, but that, that was kind of the guy who, he's, quite a, he's a very good role model on and off the golf course. Um, but in terms of now, I quite like, like the, the Eddie Pepperell sort of vibe, very chilled and he knows his limits. Uh, he's a funny guy on Twitter. Uh, Elliot knows him quite well because he's at the same club as him. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, Eddie was quite a good one for me. Obviously, he's a brother that I've known. He was at my golf course as an amateur. He's turned pro. He's gone through this process we're going through now. So it's been cool to watch him go from first turning pro. It's just a, another guy in the mix kind of thing to now being a top 30 guy in the world and seeing what track in his career and how there's been peaks and troughs. It kind of makes it when you're going through your own trough, you can justified and sort of feel a bit better about it knowing that he's been through it as well like a lot of these guys do. Yeah. Cameron we're just talking off, off here before we came back about uh, the different pathways you can go to really making it say as a as a full-time pro on, on one of the you know the, the PGA Tour or the European Tour. Yes. A lot of good young guys either it seems used to go to the college route and go to the US and play yeah. one two three four years of college. The likes of Tiger Woods who went to Stanford became a US amateur champion then obviously has a, has a wonderful sort of uh, professional career the likes of Phil Mickelson doing that so that was the old model you know even even Englishmen like uh, Paul Casey and yeah. uh, Luke Donald went through that, that collegiate system and a lot of guys now I think are going if they're good enough they're, they're old enough and they're, and they're going straight from being 17 18 straight on, onto tour and, and bypassing that what are your thoughts on the different routes so you know has it changed now is there less emphasis on wanting to go for young guys like yourselves to go to the US and play on that collegiate system or now if you just want to 
fast track yourself through Q schools or through the, 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 the likes of the Mini Tour to become a you know say a fully fledged you know pay, pay as you are as a pro. Wow, blimey! I mean, there's there's lots of different routes the uh, way you can go about it. I mean, I think you can go down the college route, um, but it depends on. I think the college route is. Is, is really really good I wish I did it because um, I think I would have come out a better golfer over those four years than I would have if I didn't go because um, of the competitiveness of it and it's the whole sort of team spirit you know if you're not practicing and you're not playing well you're, you're not bullied but you know you're kind of considered as a bit of a loser if you're not on the team so I quite like that vibe and it means you have to practice and work hard at it uh, there's a lot more emphasis now on guys who are just turning pro at 17, 18, 19 years old. Um, and it's, that's really young. Um, and I think it's just down to the coaching development now. So 20 years ago, coaching obviously isn't like it is now. And the resources that you can have and you can get hold of are tangible. So they're really, really easy to get hold of. Um, but yeah, I think that's how these guys are so good at the ages of you know 14. I mean, we had a 14-year-old playing the Masters only a few years ago, and he was hitting it, you know, just as far as some of the guys on tour, maybe even further. Um, but yeah, it's it's a crazy game. Uh, I mean, what do you think, Elliot? I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think it really matters which route you take, as long as you keep improving. Yeah, yeah, you that. can kind of go anyway. And there's you know lots of examples of guys that have stayed amateur waited for the walker cup which is if you're either british or american that's kind of their version of the Ryder cup for the amateurs and that's kind of the peak of the amateur game so to speak and there's plenty of guys that have turned pro before it when they're about to get into it and people have gone what are they doing why have they not got into that and then used that to leverage into their pro careers and they've been successful there's guys that have the like ian polters that have just turned pro really young coached and worked his way through that side of it there's kind of there's no right way it's just finding the way that optimizes it for you it's interesting. I mean, one thing I just wanted to ask you about is, is, is the sort of physical side. I mean, you're pretty much in control of what you can do on the course during a tournament and a preparation, etc. But both of you have there talked about coaches and, and, and the coaches that as you progress, you get to tap into more expertise, more talent, be that new. And it's one thing that's really struck me about the tour is just the bulking up of, of golfers down the, over the years has become a lot more of a physical sport. And that's Rory McIlroy, who, who sort of did so well here early on with the support from Jamira, etc. His, his body shape has changed and a lot more time has gone into nutrition to phys ed to conditioning as well I'm assuming that that's something you guys have to take care of yourself and that can't come cheap as well yeah I think so um, I mean there's definitely an emphasis on defining who you are as a golfer um, so you could be the likes of Francesco Molinari where it's just boring golf very green very green very green or you could be Dustin Johnson Rory McIlroy where they just take on everything and anything they can and just shoot the lights out of it um, I, I think I'm probably on the lines of Francesco uh, because I haven't got the physical capability of being like those guys. Um, Rory is just this hyper-elastic human being who's five foot nine and can vomit just as far as a six foot four guy who's Dustin Johnson, which is just incredible. Um, and obviously it's to do with his kinematics and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, lots of, there's lots of ways of doing it. Uh, but bulking is definitely something that. But equally to that, like nutrition and things like that, and what nutrition, you eat, etc. But yeah, it's key. you know, with, with the pressures that you're under, is that something you're you're conscious of? Yeah. Yeah. Massively. Ma yeah, massively, because obviously our budgets are quite yeah. tight, which means that we can't go out and eat healthily. 
we have to sort well within reason i mean there are some good arabic restaurants and stuff so we go there quite a bit and they're quite cheap um but actually out here the most important thing is probably hydration <laughs> i mean uh, it's, it's, this is like next level i've played in australia before in sydney and that was like 75, 80% humidity. That was hot and that was the hottest I've ever experienced. But over here is, this is next level. This is getting through a t-shirt every three holes or something or four <laughs> holes, so. A quick one, I just want to pick up on something you said a little earlier on, Elliot, as well about conditions and being good here, being able to play world-class courses week in, week out in warm conditions and therefore not having to worry with some of the sort of the more blustery or, or wet conditions you might get elsewhere is it important though to be able to, to 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 play in those conditions as well to challenge your game depending on different rather than just become very sort of attuned to play in the golf courses in these conditions here yeah i'd say this you've got to have a balance of it all because in competition yeah you need to be able to play under any different conditions that get thrown at you but in terms of development, like certain ways good golfers will react to different conditions. So if it gets windy, we'll start subconsciously moving the ball back forward, getting our, like, moving the ball back, getting our weight forward, trying to trap it out lower, which is really good for that one day on that golf course. But in terms of your overall swing development, you could start getting some really bad habits very quickly when you're playing in those conditions all the time. So it's nice to be able to go somewhere where it's, you know, some days it's warm and windy, some days it's not so windy, like in this different, the types of golf courses as well. So the golf courses here are big, like well-designed golf courses that they really ask a lot of questions of you whereas when we're back home playing tournaments quite often it's around a kind of local members course where it's probably been there for 100 years and some of the bunkers that are supposed to create a challenge aren't in play anymore because we hit it past them and the greens might be small and so they're not like asking a lot of questions on those so in terms of actually developing your game the courses out here being proper championship golf courses is massively helpful i think well apologize for dragging you out the swimming pools to grill you here uh, on the radio of the course of the last uh, hour or so but really appreciate your time and just one thing that I wanted to pick up on in terms of you know we were talking about the fact that uh, you're going well in the MENA tour at the moment looking to, to, to elevate your sort of status on tour and otherwise but you uh, come mentioned about uh, peps on on social media and I'm just interested to know I mean does that play a part these days in terms of uh, in terms of the progression of a golfer because if you're looking to get your your brand out there as well is it important oh yeah massively uh, i mean instagram now is probably the hottest social media platform for a young golfer well for anyone i think any athlete uh, is trying to do anything um obviously now brands are sort of looking for free advertisement because television and newspapers and stuff is expensive as with us it's it's whatever it costs to uh, make their clothing or make their clubs so to them it's not really a lot it's the fraction of what it would be if you were to have it on television and it's all you've actually got someone who's using it and if you've got I mean it, Elliot and I are always looking for sponsorship and stuff but if you go to a company who's uh, wants to branch out in Dubai let's say and then your outreach is you know let's say you've got 50,000 followers or 100,000 followers and 50% of that is um, in Dubai. You know, 50% of your outreach of 50,000 followers is in Dubai. If you've got a company out here that is sponsoring you, then obviously it's quite big for them because their outreach is quite big and it grows. And Instagram is just this crazy platform and you can grow quite quickly. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a big thing uh, in terms of sponsorship and getting just, getting, getting things that uh, for free that you would have to pay for for equipment clothing 
uh, you know, hotels, uh, things like that. So yeah, it's definitely a big. Yeah, see, I would say the big thing, social media, like especially Instagram, it's free platforms for us to provide, you know, information on what we're doing that people might find interesting, and it allows us something that's consistent. So if we're trying to find sponsorship on the basis that we're going to earn you money, realistically, it's very tough to make money at this level until we move on. So we can't ever guarantee that. But if we can say we're going to guarantee you exposure to however many thousands of people that we've got on social media, then it's something that can potentially attract sponsors. It's a free tool for us to use. So it's kind of like a why not try it. What's your handle? Uh, Elliot Bradley Golf. What's your handle? Cam Phillips Golf. So get those in there, get people listening and, and signing up. Plug in those in right there. I've been following them. They have some great stuff, good good content as well. So if you want to see them on the golf course or at the Barasti pool, yeah. uh, also, uh, you can follow both of them, certainly. Uh, last year this time, you guys know what last year this time was? Ryder Cup. Was the oh, Ryder wow. Cup. Yeah. Where Team Europe was triumphant over Team USA, a heavily stacked Team USA. Next year, Ryder Cup's coming to Wisconsin, isn't it, Mark Archer? It is Wisconsin. Uh, Whistling Straits. Whistling Straits. Whistling Straits. So, way too early predictions for next year. Next year's Ryder Cup, gentlemen. Which which side are we going to be going with? Oh blimey! Well, it depends if the Americans bully the European team. Or not. But I don't know. Um, no, I don't know. I think I think both teams are really strong. Um, I think oh, I don't know. It's just it's so difficult because obviously the Ryder Cup teams are picked. Uh, between now and then so you just don't know who's going to be playing you could have a guy who's playing on form right now and then suddenly drop off and not do anything at all um, I mean the big thing I reckon will Tiger Woods be in it I don't know that's interesting but that, I have to say that the highlight of my year actually this year was when Tiger won the Masters because I have never seen him win a, a major oh, unbelievable I've never seen him win a major because uh, I started the game late so seeing him win that Masters was pretty special I'd yeah. say I was quite nervous when he was coming up 18. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. I think it was a, a special moment for anyone that loves the game of golfer. It's just sport in general. Seeing him come back and win that one. Yeah. Next weekend, you guys are at the Alain Shooting Club and Golf Club. If you want to go see them, listeners in action, yeah. head on down there, and you can see these gentlemen: Cameron Phillips, Elliot Bradley. One more time on the handles. That's Cameron at Cam Phillips Golf and at Elliot Bradley Golf. Maybe you're looking to sponsor them. The boys are open Maybe. for business. Just remember, gentlemen, just remember your agent, Ross Chris, from the pool. Oh, okay, I will. Gentlemen? I will. Thank you very much for taking your time out of your busy schedules to come on down here and get grilled on the grill. Unbelievable goal! This is The Grill, live from Barasti, where the game is always on. You're listening to uh, The Grill. We're broadcasting live from Barasti, where the game is always on. Uh, let's get over to the football very quickly. 38 minutes on the clock. Monty's watching this one for us. Georgia against Ireland. It's still nil-nil, uh, Tom. Georgia-Ireland. And surprisingly, Georgia is having 60% of the possession in this match. Uh, let's see how it pans out for the Irish, because uh, if they win this, and we know that they, they would cement their place almost in the, in the Euro 2020 summer next, next year. Toby Gregg is alongside us as well. He's been fervently making his notes since the uh, game uh, in the Rugby World Cup a little earlier on. Ireland, uh, we, have we just seen a team that could challenge for silverware this year? I think we're looking at semi-finalists there. Look, they, they've built a platform. They delivered. They knew after the Japanese game they needed 10 points. They delivered that off their own. They went down to 14 men. 
They kept their composure. The forwards and backs linked well together and it was a good, solid performance. I think it would have been quite easy for them to perhaps take the foot off the gas, go to rucks, go to malls, keep it quite tight, kick for territory. But no, they progressed, they, they challenged and they scored seven tries or so. I thought it was a great performance by them. So you think that they're potential semi-finalists, but that means them getting past oh the All Blacks in the quarters. Yeah, I think they're a team that makes the All Blacks nervous, but I think um, I think uh, Steve Hansen and uh, Kieran Reid may, may just have a few questions to answer, a few rights to a few wrongs to right. Um, but I think the the, the the Irish team can pose some problems of the All Blacks. Ireland have never got past the quarterfinals of a Rugby World Cup. I think they, they're going to have to produce a game of their lifetime to defeat the All Blacks in a quarter-final. I think the All Blacks will be well prepared for them now. They know exactly what they're going to come up against. They're pretty one-dimensional at their best, Ireland, and they're going to have to come up with some uh, some plan B, some, some different forms of attacking them to really probably nullify the All Blacks. But it will be a fascinating contest. Plenty of storylines and plots. Of course, Joe Smith heading back to New Zealand after coaching Ireland. Lot talked about being potentially a next All Black coach at some stage, even though he's said he's not in that, he's not putting his hat in that rink. I wouldn't be surprised though if it may re-emerge at some stage. So, plenty of subplot. Bundy Aki, of course, probably won't play that uh, quarter final after being red carded after 29 minutes. So, plenty of uh, talking points. But Ireland, All Blacks next Saturday. It's a tasty matchup for sure. Providing tomorrow's game doesn't go ahead, you know, this all depends. At the moment, Ireland topped the group. So actually, you know, the, the things could change. They could still play South Africa, but let's see what happens tomorrow or tonight at one o'clock our time. <laughs> Watch with interest on that one. Uh, let's go to the world of athletics now. And Ross Chris, why is the name Kipchoge trending online at the moment? Well, Kenya Zeliud Kipchoge is the first man to cross the finish line in a marathon under two hours time and he did it historic fashion in Vin uh, in Austria this morning in one hour 59 minutes and 40 seconds cheering him on 400 meters to go let's bring him home this is history unfolding on the streets of Vienna this morning it's a Saturday run like we've never seen before listen at the noise the crowd getting right behind him goodness me 300 meters to go he can see the finish line here Neil Armstrong we had on the moon in 1969. We had Roger Bannister, the four-minute mile 65 years ago. Edmund Hillary, the first man to climb Everest in 1953. We have one minute to go. Elliot Kipchoge is on his way here. It's not this, humble, be a this humble farmer who used to run two miles to school every day and back. He used to go to the nearest town on his bike to sell milk at the local market. And now, through hard work and discipline, he's pointing, come on, he says. Elliot Kipchoge has the hand of history on his shoulder. He has less than 200 metres to go. Elliot Kipchoge, let's keep an eye on the clock, into the final 20 seconds. Elliot Kipchoge on his shoulder. 140, oh. 1.40, the unofficial oh, line. there's his wife. Elliot, Elliot Kipchoge storms into the history books in Vienna. 1.59.40, the unofficial time. The first man to run a marathon. And there you have it, Elliot Kipchoge going across the finish line in Vienna. One, the 1.59.40. However, gentlemen, there was no other runners in this race. It's a special course for him, so... It's got, a, it's, it's got an asterisk next to it, if you will. So does it, what does it stand? Is it official or not? 
It's no. an experimental run over the marathon distance is what it's saying. So Bearing in mind he holds a marathon record. Yes. So, it, you know, for him it wasn't necessarily about breaking those sorts of records, but more kind of breaking barriers. That two-hour two mark has long been sought after. Many people have tried. Yes, it was under special conditions. Yes, he had 41 pacemakers and all sorts <laughs> of other bits and pieces and trainers that will probably cost £245 when they come out. Um, but he got it. He did it. It was an incredible moment. Yeah, well, one of the best marathon runners of all time. This is a guy that's, uh, he's won Hamburg, he's won London, he's won Chicago, he's won Rio, he's won Berlin, he's won London what, three times, four times? I don't know. He's, and then he, he crosses the finish line with the physical strains of somebody who'd gone to get the morning papers. Oh, my goodness. You he know, hugs his wife. He had literally just done something that we didn't think was possible. He crosses that finish line and he's ready to get going again. It was unbelievable. I guess I, I guess the debate will will be said worldwide right now though. Do how do you look at this right now as a marathon? Because you know we don't have any other people in the race besides him doing this with all these pacemakers and everything like that. He certainly sets the bar, but w would it happen in an actual race? Well, let's see. But let's break it down another way. That was like running a hundred meters in seventeen seconds. 422 times. <laughs> Who could do that? That's a good way of looking at well, it. Well, don't look at anyone on this set. <laughs> 17 seconds. I think I could do that three times, just about. Right. Extraordinary. Achievement. I did the uh, the Dubai Standard Chartered Road Race 10 kilometers three years ago. I used to be a runner. I've stopped running now. I clocked a time of 46 minutes in 10 uh, for, for the 10K run. So so you can imagine the, the speed that these guys are running in uh, and competing a marathon in under two hours for, uh, in, and, and covering 42 kilometers. Unbelievable. Regardless of where you sit on this, we have to admit he's just a phenomenal athlete to, to be able to cross that finish line in under two hours. It's just it's strictly amazing. It's, it's simply amazing. I think we're all impressed. But Archie's been very quiet on no, the whole thing. He's he, sort of like, he, uh, no, no, no. Really? You know? Look, no, I think it's an amazing achievement. <laughs> um, he, I mean, they stacked the odds, didn't they? They gave him rotating pacemakers. They found the fastest circuit. They waited for perfect weather conditions. So they basically stacked the deck and gave him a chance to go out and break the record. It's two minutes. It's about two minutes faster than the official marathon world record, but he holds. So by, by using the rotation of, of, of pacemakers throughout the whole uh, race, throughout the, throughout the whole challenge, by running on a basically a flat course, um, and by waiting for perfect weather, he's been, been able to go two minutes faster than his, uh, what was genuine, his authentic world, world record. So it's, look, it's fantastic, it's a great achievement. Does it mean anything? Yes, it does, but I, I, I guess we're waiting for the time, and it will happen. I guess it's inevitable that someone will beat two hours in a race, and then that will that will be remembered as the as, as the record-breaking one, like just like Ron, Roger Bannister did, just like you know marathon you know runners have done over over the course of history. Yeah, it's like Sir Roger Bannister. They didn't think it was possible. He did it, and all of a sudden, people left, right, and centre are doing it. But I, I really do think we need to take our hat off to this gentleman. You know, it was a superhuman effort, and as a sporting spectacle, it was quite magnetic as he crossed the line i'm sure there were many people in tears and as for waiting for the weather we're well, not going to wait for a typhoon because we see what happens then it'd be cancelled and having had 15 million put into this i think it is at rugby world cup levels Ineos, isn't that the um the, the, the timothy radcliffe or daniel yes. Ra not daniel radcliffe he was in harry potter, harry wasn't potter. Uh, radcliffe isn't it the guy that is the richest man in britain yeah whatever, isn't it? Yeah. yeah but the, the the difficulty is and this is where the naysayers are going to come in there are a number of individuals in the front row of the press conference who have been involved in cycling who've been in other sports who are involved in this record attempt and that's where they undo everything 
you know, from a, from a, a visual p um, perspective on TV, they had this laser where the runners had to keep up with coming off the back of the car. It was amazing. It was it was wow. it was fascinating. It was incredible to watch. But yeah, they, we're going to have a lot of naysayers out there and so be it, okay. no matter what happens. But I just think it was incredible and what a huge achievement. Quote of the day, I'm the first man, I want to inspire many people that no human is limited. I'm not going to argue with that, are we, after what he's achieved, that's for sure. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll wrap things up. We're live here on The Grill. We're live from Brasti. You're listening to The Grill. More of the biggest sports stories now. On Dubai Eye 103.8. 4001, if you want to have your say, uh, Mark Archer, Chris Silverwood, new man in charge for England. Do you agree? Yeah, yeah, I've got no issue with it. Um, many uh, rumoured big name uh, applicants for the job. Uh, obviously, Trevor Bayliss, um, winner of a Cricket World Cup and obviously done a good job in Test cricket. Some, some may debate. Um, is uh, now finished up his role as England coach. Gary Kirsten came into the mix, apparently. Uh, Alex uh, Stewart came into the mix, for two former great international players. But it was the 44-year-old Chris Silverwood who pl only played really six test matches for yeah. England in his career. Had a long domestic career. He played a lot for main, mainly for, for, for Yorkshire. Um, and then I think finished his career maybe at Essex um, yeah. playing around. But he's, he's been on the coaching path for, for a number of years now. He did very well uh, with Essex and County Championship cricket. He's been the bowling coach for England for a number of years. Very much unheralded, very much behind the scenes. He, I think he's a, a player's coach. He just, he just a bit like Trevor Bayliss, really just sits, sits back and lets Joe Root run or Owen Morgan run their teams respectively. And uh, apparently he's a, he's a very good, 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 good man, good, good solid guy who basically lets the players do the talking for him on the field. So very similar to the mould that I think Trevor Bayliss was. But uh, Nasser Hussein, uh, the cricket commentator, ex-England coach, said he's a, he's a well-respected man in the dressing room. And this is his thoughts on the appointment of uh, Chris Silverwood as England cricket coach. Well, I've obviously never been around him as a coach, um, but the things I hear from people who played under him at Essex and at England, he's a thoroughly professional, very well-liked, very organised, very much knows a time to say things and not say things. He puts little ideas into the bowlers' minds, I'm just talking about bowlers at the moment, where they suddenly almost think like it was their idea, even though he's pushing them in that direction. So his man management is absolutely first class. And I know this is not that important, but when I played with him, he was a very, very likeable, down-to-earth, simple lad that realised that playing for England was an absolute dream. So I'm very pleased for him. He's lived the dream as a player. He'll now be pinching himself that he's England coach. I'm pleased for him. He'll be judged by his results. He will indeed. Let's go to Shanghai now, uh, where the Masters is ongoing. Uh, we're into the quarterfinal stages. Novak Djokovic, Roger Federer have been knocked out of the Shanghai Masters in the quarters. World number one defending champion Djokovic beaten by Stefanos Tsitsipas, who came from a set down to win 3-6-7-5-6-3. A couple of the big guns have gone. Um, yes, Tom. And uh, should I call this the change of guard? Because... Uh, I'm not sure if, if this is an end of an era for the big three and we'll be seeing youngsters such as Tsitsipas, Danny Medvedev and Alexander Zverev coming uh, into the game stronger and uh, hopefully uh, going on to emulate uh, Roger Federer and Djokovic's records. Uh, but time will tell. Time so will tell. Tsitsipas obviously went on to win his semi-final as well. Uh, sorry, he'd lose his semi-final, I should say, against uh, Danny Medvedev, so another of the young guns. Yes, uh, and, and Medvedev, uh, I think... Uh, He's extended his record over Sitsipas as five to nil in uh, in career head to head, and also he and Medvedev's on a, on on a streak here. He's on a sixth straight tour level uh, a final, going into the Shanghai Masters. So 
So so good on him. And uh, and and the other game, uh, which 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 ended uh, Alexander Zverev beating the Italian Berrettini 6-3, 6-4, also shows uh, that uh, the youngster, the the German, is is coming along well and looking looking good, most probably to win a Grand Slam in the future. Zverev against Medvedev. All the V's in there. Uh, we'll be seeing the final uh, tomorrow for the Shanghai Masters, part of the ATP Tour. Uh, what's going on in the world of US sport? What should we look forward to over the next 24? Well, let's stay in China right now. Let's head to Shenzhen, China, because we have a, a final score coming across the bay from Hong Kong. Los Angeles Lakers just fell to the Brooklyn Nets. They finally played some basketball in China. A lot of controversy surrounding this game after a tweet was sent out by general manager of the Houston Rockets in his support for the Hong Kong protest. But they did end up playing some basketball and the Brooklyn Nets beat LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers 91-77. to Adrian Black Bradley led the way for the Lakers with 14 points and Levert had 22 points for the Brooklyn Nets. These teams bonded a lot over the trip because they couldn't leave their hotel for fears of security concerns. Elsewhere, Tom, I'm going to keep an eye on some of these NFL Week 6 games. Falcons going to the Cardinals. That'll be a good one. 49ers-Rams is a real tasty matchup. That's going to be in Los Angeles. If you fly out to the Coliseum, you can still get a ticket for $150. Bucks. My Pittsburgh Steelers are heading to Los Angeles, but they're going to be heading to Carson and taking on the Chargers and former Hall of, and future Hall of Famer Phillip Rivers. Steelers looking to get to 2-4. and four. Rivers looking to get to 3-3. Three and three. And then the Packers hosting the Lions at Lambeau Field. This will be a very, very good matchup. If you want to get up for this one, you're going to have to wake up at 4.15 in the morning. That's when Toby's up doing his morning stretches for the Lions to take on the Packers. Aaron Rodgers will be hosting them at Lambeau Field. Matt Patricia looking for win number three on the season. Tasty, tasty matchups here for week six of the NFL. Good on you, fella. Thanks very much indeed to you for all your hard yards over the course of the evening. Uh, our thanks to Ross Chris. Our thanks also uh, to Toby Gregory. What are you watching for the rest of the weekend? Not any rugby by the sounds of things. Uh, no rugby. That's probably banned. I'm hoping there is a rugby game or two tomorrow and we'll sneak a quick watch at that. There are four planned. Let's see what takes place. But apart from that, my job is to shift the 2K I put on over the weekend and get a bit fitter. That's what happens when you go out with Arch, you know, onto a boat. <laughs> well, the thing is, I probably would fit into his clothes now by the state <laughs> of what he was wearing last night. <laughs> uh, good on you, TG. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of the Rugby World Cup. Arch, Thank we you. Got, are we going to see you to the, before? The, or are you, you're done now, aren't you, until the, the end of the Rugby I World am, Cup? I am, but I think I'll make a cameo next weekend, Tom. Oh, good I'll, on I'll you, mate. take one for the team. Come on down and watch those semi-finals. Uh, two matches next weekend, Rugby World Cup semi-final. Get on down to Bresti and come and say hi if you're looking for something to do. England-Australia, that's the most likely match that we know is probably going to happen. All Blacks will be taking on either uh, Japan or more likely Ireland, depends on what happens in that match tomorrow. That's the two matches on Saturday. And then next Sunday, of course, it looks like Wales are going to be taking on France. And then South Africa will host either Ireland or also Japan as well, depending on what happens in that match tomorrow, of course. But, yeah, looking forward to it. Uh, let's hope the, uh, the typhoon blows itself out and we get some rugby in the next couple of weeks. Next, next week starts the very first inaugural season of the Emirates Gridiron League. First game will be in Dubai. We have four teams playing American football. So if you're looking for something to do next Friday, come on out. I can get you the games and times. Just uh, hit me up on Instagram, at Ross Talks. But it'll be a very, very good, exciting new season. They branched away from the EAFL. I'm looking forward to seeing some American football out here in the Middle East. Ain't we just. Uh, and finally, he's got to go a little thank you to the birthday boy, who's you, in Tom. good company as well. We apologise for, well, we apologise to your family 
for, ter <laughs> no, <not at> all. <laughs> for, for tearing you away from your family celebrations to come down here. Not at all. I told my dad uh, we celebrate in the evening after I'm back, but I'm going to go to the grill and talk sport. <laughs> uh, we'll get him up in a shabby state. Uh, we'll get him back there in a shabby state, Dad. Don't worry about that. Uh, and uh, you are in illustrious company because I'm just going through my feed at the moment. And I think a happy birthday is due to... Esther as well, isn't it Esther's birthday today? Yeah, so Esther, if you're listening at the moment, happy birthday to you, my love, and thank you for all your hard yards as well. So well done to uh, Esther, happy birthday there, happy birthday to you, Monty, thank you for thank your you time. Thank you, Tom. Right, one last one from me. Uh, if there's one thing you do tonight, nine o'clock, be near a screen if you can, at nine o'clock tonight. Now, rugby league might not be your game, but this is always a spectacle. It is time for the Betfred Super League Grand Final. After all the playoffs, we've got two teams that go head-to-head, -head, and this is intriguing as well. They're calling it the David and Goliath, uh, the record breakers against the Motley crew. It's St. Helens, uh, the big guns of Super League, against Salford, who were about to go into administration a couple of years ago. Yeah, things didn't look too good for them, but they pulled themselves back. I think this is only their third Grand Final they've been in, but they face a mighty task. It's a brilliant game, Arch, even Arch, even you, Arch, the rugby union fanatic might just come around to a bit uh, of league tonight. It's right up there with the state of origin, mate against mate, state against state. <laughs> it promises to be a good one, as I mentioned, it's off at nine o'clock. Do join us uh, next week between the hours of three and six, maybe a few changes, who knows? We'll wait and see. One thing that we can confirm is that we'll be upstairs this time next week, so make sure you do join us up on the rooftop garden down here at Barasti. Uh, but yeah, if you are looking for live sport this evening, you've got European Championship qualifiers ongoing throughout the remainder of the evening, and the Super League Grand Final kicks off at nine o'clock. It ain't just a game, it's more than that. It's just a monumental moment in anyone's career. You play the game for moments like this. To get the chance to walk out Old Trafford is something that I never thought I'd ever get to do. Walking down that tunnel and the hair standing up on the back of my neck. It's unbelievable. Uh, the occasion, the week leading up to it. It just goes up a notch, do you know what I mean? It's not a normal game. It's hard not to get caught up in the emotion. All the other players inside of you, the staff that were with you, I'll always remember that you were a part of that day. Now the confidence we've got going into each game, it, it, it's, it's massive. They want to achieve things and they want to win. You know, it's going to be a, a great day. It, it is more than just any game. It's one more big effort now for Justin. Hopefully we can send him off for a grand final victory, what he deserves as much as anyone else. Obviously all the media started saying how bad we are going to go this year and, and where we were going to end up down the bottom of the ladder. And to have someone tell you that you're not very good isn't very nice and, and the only way to, to really rectify that is by going out there and proving them wrong. To finish the regular season at 16 points per second is a credit to the playing group. You know, that, that's hard to do. You know, we're going to do it when it counts. Going to Old Trafford, over the line, he's Mosser, he has done it, he has got the try. They cannot believe it, young and old, Salford are on their way to the grand final. To go out on the high of a win and lift that cup this week would be something dreams are made of. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.